right. Well, it's been a long time since I've spoken to y'all. Went through a little storm in my life, and then, of course, COVID. And, and so um, I have a message for you today. I'm going to give you a little background, a little history, because I like that. So I want you to hang in there with me uh, before I bring you around to home. How's that? Um, you know, this Friday, it'll be a year ago, that I had an accident, and I shattered my heel, and it went up into the ankle, into the foot, and it's a terrible injury. I, who knew, right? Um, it's a terrible injury to recover from. I'm still going to physical therapy for it. And it was devastating for me. And, and I'm a very um, independent person. Anybody got that problem? Almost <laughs> everybody, right? I mean, we're, you know, our personalities are all different, but I'm fiercely independent and self-reliant. And uh, so it not only was it a physical difficulty, but it was an emotional thing because, you know, I can do this, people. I'm fine. I'm good. You know, pray, pray, that's great, but I got this. And sometimes things come in our lives where we ain't got it. You know, it knocks us off our proverbial horse, right? Anybody been knocked off their horse? And because, and I think especially, you know, in Americans too, we pride ourselves in that independence and, you know, and all of that. Well, I found out that I needed to be dependent on people. And I needed people, literally, almost, to carry me around. That I couldn't, I didn't walk for months and months. And, and it was, and then when I did, the pain was terrible. And it was just, spiritually, I didn't do well. Can I admit that? I didn't do, I've known the Lord for over 50 years, and I didn't do well. I just kind of laid there. I didn't like shake my fist at God, but it was like I felt abandoned. I felt empty. I felt lost. And so God began to speak to me. In fact, it was when Pastor Dan, where is he? He ain't in here. He's changing his pants. That's a good thing. So Pastor Dan last week preached on the scripture, if you were here, what will I render to the Lord? I will take the cup of salvation. And so he was talking about, we always think, what do I give God? What do I give God? And we know we give him our lives. You know, we give him our love, our heart, our worship. But David made the point, I will take the cup of salvation. And I think and the point that Pastor Dan made was, it's hard for us to receive Right? I mean, I think some people, of course, it's our temperaments. It's easier for some than others. But it's hard for us to receive. And it's hard for us to receive when it's an overwhelming, generous gift. Like it knocks you, it knocks you, it knocks you down, you know? So I'm going to talk to you today. I want to help us think correctly so that we can move forward in our faith and in our walk and understanding really what God has at the table for us. And the name of my message is Carried to the Table. And I'm going to take uh, my text out of the Old Testament, and it's in uh, 2 Samuel, verse 9. And before we start reading, what you need to know is that King Saul... King of Israel was dead. 
when this is being read. He was killed. His son Jonathan, two, two other sons, were killed by the Philistines. And this is why now David, who we all know, has ascended to the throne. And David went through some skirmishes, some battles, uh, the Philistines, the Moabites, all these different people that he, he had to put down. And now they're coming to a time where he's ruling and there's peace in the kingdom of Israel. And then David says, Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, or Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba, Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house from Lodabar. Now when, this is his name, Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. Now you're a Bible scholar. When you can say that, you're like, I'm a scholar now, Mephibosheth. And when like. <laughs> Yeah, I just lost my ranking as a Bible scholar. <laughs> How the mighty have fallen. <laughs> now, in Mephibosheth, I'm just going to call him M from now on, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. He fell on his feet, <laughs> and he prostrated himself, and he said, and David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. He was the grandson of a king. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, and this is Mephibosheth, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, said to him, I've given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul, and you're basically going to serve him and take care of him. And, and verse 11, Ziba said to the king, according to all that's been commanded, this is what I'm going to do. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. The chapter closes out saying, Mephibosheth dwelled in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table and was lame in both his feet. And I want to go back to the beginning of that. What does it mean? What was David talking about when he said, I'm going to do this for Jonathan's sake? What does that mean, for Jonathan's sake? What is he referring to? Well, he is not just saying words. He's specifically referring to something that happened between David and Jonathan many years ago. When Saul was king, Jonathan was a young boy, teenager probably, Saul brought David to his house to play the harp. I don't know if you remember that. In the scriptures, Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. He brought David because anytime David played the harp, he felt relief and he felt the presence of God. And so David came to the palace 
And he and Jonathan became best of friends. They became soulmates. Anybody ever had a best friend like that? You might only get one in your life, right? That, that soulmate that you're just totally safe with, your soul is knit to them. Could be a spouse, could be a friend, whatever. Could be a cousin. Could very well be. And so we're just going to go back real quick, a couple more scriptures, and then I'm going to teach you something, okay? We're going to go back to where Saul and Jonathan, uh, Jonathan and David are speaking to one another. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And so Saul took David that day, would not let him go home to his father's house. He kept him at the palace. And Jonathan, David made, Jonathan and David made a what? A covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, in ancient times, they, people made covenants with each other, sometimes blood covenants, and they would exchange things to like ratify that covenant. And one of the things they would do is exactly what Jonathan did. And when he gave him, um, when he gave him his uh, clothing, let me go back into that. There was, took off his robe. When he gave him that piece of clothing, it, it means material possessions, like provision. And when he gave him a piece of armor, protection. So there is a covenant that is cut now between Jonathan and David for provision for one another. I'll always take care of your needs and I'll always protect you. So the day came when Saul became jealous of David because the people of Israel liked him better. And they were praising David and he was becoming a warrior and Saul was very, and so Saul decided he was going to kill him. And so many many chapters throughout the Old Testament is Saul just plotting and trying to kill David. And so David came to Jonathan and said, look, your dad's trying to kill me, and you have to help me here. You have to keep me informed of what's going on so I can stay safe. And so we skip forward to 1 Samuel 20. And Jonathan says to David, and you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. In other words, when you're reigning and you're high, don't forget my house. Don't forget my descendants. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So when David began to say, is there anyone left? You know, he's done the battles. He's settling into his kingdom. He's ruling with justice and mercy. And goodness was in the land. And he said, wait a minute. Is there anybody left from the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? And then he went on further and said that I can show the kindness of God to. And so when we look at that word kindness, it's one of those words that does not translate into English well. It is a Hebrew word, and it's pronounced chesed. And that word, it, it, there's so many English words that it is. It's, it's a fat word. It's a word that is rich. 
And so I'm just going to try with some English words to tell you what this word where David was saying, who can I show chesed to in the house of Saul? It means kindness, loving kindness, favor, mercy, goodness, and love, all based on covenant. It's, all, it's not just, oh, I'm just going to be, not, you know, we're like, go through the Starbucks drive-in and say, have a nice day, and we feel like we've been kind for the day. You know, that's kindness. <laughs> or we tip a little extra. Instead of the 15%, I'll do 18 or 20. I've been really kind today. Now, this is this magnificent, ginormous word of chesed that means I'm going to pour this out on you even if you don't deserve it. Even, even if you are lame in both feet, I am going to pour out the loving kindness and mercy and favor on you because of covenant, okay? There's a theologian named John Oswald who said, Hesed is completely undeserved kindness and generosity. It intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue, so when we get to verse 3 in 1 Samuel 9, my beginning um, scripture, it mentions that Mephibosheth is lame in both feet. And so he's lame. Why is he lame? Well, he's lame because when he was five years old, this is when Saul, stay with me now, when Saul and Jonathan and two other sons were killed in Jezreel, and when word came back to the palace that Saul, King Saul, was dead, the nurse of him, M, his nurse, picked him up and began to run. And she did that because always when another king conquered or rose to the throne, they would kill all of the descendants of the previous king. So there was no trouble in the ranks. Nobody's going to rise up, try and usurp the throne and bring it back to my, you know, heritage that my daddy did, you know, that he reigned. And so they would kill everybody, and the nurse understood that. And so she picks him up. He's five years old. She starts to run, and she drops him. And he was crippled in both of his feet. I imagine, you know, he didn't get medical care. He was lame. He... We don't know if he never walked or he had to crawl or if he limped, we don't know. But he was lame in both of his feet. And he was in, he grew, I'm not sure of the time frame, he may have been a late teenager by this time. But he was in a place called Lodabar, as we read. And he was just there scratching out an existence. And when we look up the meaning of Lodabar, what do you think that means? Anybody got any guesses at what that could mean in the context of this story? Just an awful place. It actually means there's no pasture and there's no word. Dry, alone, forgotten, crippled in this place. And David says to Ziba, hmm, go get him. So, anybody ever felt that way? Really? I have for the last, <laughs> you know, we've all felt it through COVID, and then, but we all have our stuff beyond the pandemic, beyond all of those things. We find ourselves in these places 
of difficulty, of dryness. And sometimes, like with this young man, it was no fault of his own. Sometimes we get there because we're dumb sometimes. We do dumb things. And sometimes it's just life. Life can be unfair, right? We start out young and strong and fearless and invincible, and then after a few decades of life knocking you upside the head, people knocking you upside the head, you're like crawling on the ground with crippled feet and end up in a dry place, maybe bitter, angry, sick, depressed, divorced, you know, all of these things, broke. So, see, God weaves these stories into the scriptures to teach us about him, about us, about covenant. You know, he was dropped by someone he trusted, a nurse. She was entrusted with his life, but he was dropped by her. And sometimes we're dropped by somebody that we trust, right? Parents, spouse, friend, significant other. We get dropped. And a lot of times it happens in our childhood or our youth. And we drag that lameness throughout the rest of our life and never fully enter into the fullness of what the king has for us. But there is, I'm going to tell you something this morning, there is a king that's looking for you. In your lameness, in your brokenness, there's a king that's looking for you. He's inquiring about you. He's saying, I want to show Hasid to Katie, to Jay, to Charlene. I'm looking for you. There's a scripture and David says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And you see, Mephibosheth could not get to the king. First of all, he was terrified because he figured he'd be killed if David ever knew where he was. He was of the house of Saul. He was terrified, but he couldn't get there. He didn't have a way to get there. And the king said, go get him, because they said he's lame in his feet. He's like, Ziba, I want you to go get him. It says that when uh, King David sent and brought him out of the house of Lodabar. And I want to tell you something. You know, we lead people to Jesus, lead them to drink of the cup of salvation, and there they become saved and delivered. And, you know, but see, God wants to not just find us, but he wants to bring us out. He sent Ziba. He said, go get him. Don't just say, it's going to be okay. King David, you know, you're fine. Here's, um, you know, here's a $100 a month stipend so you can eat. No. He said, I want you to go bring him out. Bring him out of his mess. Bring him out of the dry place. 
bring them out of the place where there's no word, where they did not feel any presence, anybody that cared. Bring them out and bring them to the palace. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He's the hound to heaven, honey. He go looking for you. And you're like, oh, Jesus, I feel so good. He's like, that's good, but you're coming with me. We got a place to go, honey. You got a journey in front of you, and it's a glorious journey and something never to be afraid of. And you don't have to get there at the time and lay down before a God and say, I'm a dead dog. Why do you care about me? But yet, humanity has been that way for thousands of years. We don't think so great about ourselves. Or if we do, it's in the wrong way. We're worried about what everybody else thinks. We're worried about what the church might say. We're worried about what society might say. But let me tell you something about God. You see, we... And I was going to tell the scripture that David said, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you should visit him? Why do you care about us? Who are we? We're just dead dogs. And God's like, I am in love with you. You are my creation. You are my beautiful one that I have fashioned so that I can pour out my love on you and you can return it back to me. So you and me, we throw away damaged and broken things, right? All you got to do is go to the landfill, figure out how much stuff we throw away. I'm like, oh, I got to go through this closet. It's terrible. And we'll say, oh, I'll send that to the Goodwill or here or there. But this is going in the dump. You know, we throw, we throw things out. Oh, that washing machine, it still works, but it thumps. So I'm going to get rid of it. It's damaged. It's broken. But I want to tell you something that God deals with damaged and broken things. He never throws them away, church. God never throws anything broken away. Never throws anybody broken or damaged away. And that's good news for all of us. How many know that we're all broken and damaged? I mean, if there any, anybody isn't, you can come right up here and pray for us, okay? And we'll start a healing line. Because, you know... Somewhere along the line, you're going to get blindsided. Somewhere along the line, someone's going to drop you, and you're going to be lame in your feet. But God says, that's my favorite part. It's my favorite part. This is the part where I get to go and hunt you down and say, come to my house. Come to my house. But I want you to notice something. Um, Mephibosheth falls on the ground. He says, I'm a dead dog. David doesn't even answer his question. When he's like, why would you pay attention to me? I'm a dead dog. David doesn't even address the question. He just starts declaring the promise that was made to his life. And that promise was to Jonathan. I'll always provide for you. I'll always protect you. And so he said to Mephibosheth, all of the possessions of the house of Saul are yours. Not only that, but his servants are going to take care of you. And at the end of that passage, he said, you are going to sit at the king's table and eat every day of your life. 
But the caveat here is this. A lot of times we get to the palace, come to Jesus. Not a lot of times. We're just so guilty of this, myself included. We get to the palace, we worship the king, but we never take our seat at the table. He says, I have a seat at the table for you. I need you to come and partake of all of my provision. I've provided everything for you. I've restored, big word in Christianity, I've restored to you all of the, your grandfather's house. I have this to give back to you, and I'm going to provide for you, and you protected. You can be protected any better than sitting at the table of the king, the protection of God over his life. But we get into the palace, and that's where we don't sit down at the table. Why? Because we don't think we're good enough. Because we don't think we're worthy. Because, well, I screwed up here, or I'm so nuts. I'm depressed. I've served the Lord all these many years, and look at all these mistakes I made. Look how many times I fell down. And we disqualify ourselves from the goodness and provision of God because he has it for you and you and you and you and you. Everything. There's nothing lacking at the king's table. And it's not for heaven. It's for here. It is for here. It's not over yonder. You're a king's kid. But we got to come sit down at the table. We have to sit at the table. And, you know, we do it because we believe. First of all, you got to know it's there. And then you got to believe it's for you. And it is. It's for you. It's for you. So I'm going to run it out of time. So I'm going to wind down here. But I do want to make a point here. Mephibosheth's name means, are you ready? The end of shame. You got to love the word of God. The end of shame. Anybody ever suffer shame? Anybody suffering it today? You know, we said no one will raise their hand on that one. <laughs> yeah, I didn't way back then, but now I'm fine now. I'm good. <laughs> you know, we deal with it every day. You know, ah, I should have done this. I shouldn't have done that. But you're worthy. I'm here to tell you today that you're worthy, that you're not a dead dog. If you hear anything today, you need to know you're worthy. And you're not worthy because you deserve it. That's good news. Because then we'd have to earn something. You're worthy because the king has made a covenant. And he cannot break his covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God. And he's looking for you to come and sit at the table and be restored and provided for. It's never too late. And I, I want to throw one other thing in there. Mephibosheth was carried to the table because he was so lame. When they put him at the table, he couldn't see his feet anymore. And nobody else could. When you're sitting at the table, your, your lameness is covered. Your brokenness is covered. All is well in the world when you're sitting at the table. But 
we need to make sure that we carry others to the table. Sometimes we get to the table and all of a sudden we're like, Whoa, yes, ma'am, look at this spread I have here. And then you see some ragged, broken person trying to crawl to the table and you're like, no, wait a minute. Don't you see how this table is set? It's not set for you. Ouch. We get self-righteous quick, don't we? All of a sudden, we think we earned our place at the table. And God's like, this is a crazy Hasid moment where I am pouring out on you the everlasting love of God unconditionally, and you didn't deserve any of it, but I did it because I love you. And that has to be our message to a world that is so done with religion, so many done with church because they've been told at one point or the other, you don't have a place at the table. You're divorced, you don't have a place. You're a woman, I remember them days. You don't have a place, Are you kidding me? If I get up and speak years ago, I'd have people walk out because a woman ain't supposed to be able to talk in church. Don't got a place at the table. If you're gay, you don't have a place at the table. If you're transgender, you don't have a place at the table. Well, who decided that? When God said, when the king said, I'm in covenant with my creation. Find the broken one. Find the one that's been dropped and shattered. Find the one that's been excluded. Bring him to the table. So, I think that the only way that we can truly walk in that calling is if we understand it for ourselves first. That's why Jesus said the whole gospel rests on two things, love God, love people. And we, when we love God, we understand the mercy that was poured out. Then we can love everybody and understand that Jesus said, it's not the well I came for, it's the sick. Are you kidding me? The well don't need a doctor. He's hunting for the, the, most, the ones that have been tossed away that are hiding in a dry place with no word from God because no one would say, you got a seat at the table. So we're going to close today. I have a five-minute video you're going to watch, and then it'll be 11.14, and the other people will be charging in here. But I bless you. I pray that this speaks to your heart, that you know how amazing you are and how much the King loves you.